Welcome to Frontline Voices on Disaster Response, sponsored by Verizon on WTOP. We've seen the fire landscape here in Oregon really across the West evolve over the last decade or so. We're now having fires burning in areas uh, that typically didn't burn. Uh, parts of the Pacific Northwest that are considered rainforests now experience uh, wildfires. Uh, these fires aren't just now burning during a typical fire season, which in Oregon historically has been uh, July through maybe September. We're now having wildfire responses really year round. And wildfires, like every emergency or disaster that's caused by hazards like flooding or winter storms, uh, it, it really, the, the response is predicated on, on coordination and relationships and partnerships uh, and every entity knowing what their role is. Uh, as we see more impacts of climate change that are increasing our wildfire risk, increasing our risk of excessive temperatures, uh, we need to get much smarter and more innovative with how we reduce our risk. Uh, it's no longer just how we respond to a fire. It's, it's what we're doing before a fire starts that reduces the exposures, reduces the fuel load in our forest, makes our homes uh, more able to sustain uh, impacts from wildfires. All of these things that we can do throughout our communities uh, to reduce our risk ultimately makes wildfires less impactful. So how are your stakeholders there, your, your, your residents and um, the private sector, how, how are they responding um, basically to this change? Are they aware of the change that we're talking about here? Uh, I'm pretty sure they are. They're seeing, okay, wildfires are happening now instead of when they typically happen. How are they responding? Yeah, you know, you, you don't have to live in Oregon uh, and, and have a wildfire burning to your doorstep to be impacted by uh, wildfires. Uh, parts of the Pacific Northwest, parts of uh, the entire western half of the U.S. were blanketed uh, in wildfire smoke every summer and into the fall. So this is something that's having an impact on, on health. Uh, those that have medical conditions like asthma, it, it are, those conditions are further exacerbated by impacts of wildfire smoke. We have closures in our state forests and our natural areas where Oregonians love to recreate, uh, especially during the summer months. We're all feeling the strain of our changing climate and how this changing climate uh, is, is leading to a greater impact of wildfires. But you hit on something really important, you know, the public and, and the private sector. This is not a government, uh, solely a, a government challenge. Uh, maybe the government response, whether it's the U.S. Forest Service or here in Oregon, the Oregon Department, Department of Forestry or the State Fire Marshal's Office, those are the more visible uh, response resources that you see uh, flying helicopters and, and air tankers doing retardant drops, uh, the fire engines, the hand crews out on the fire line. You see that tangible government response, but it's that individual preparedness, uh, embracing what we're trying to build here in Oregon, a culture of preparedness. Uh, to, to, to embrace this shared responsibility we all have to protect ourselves, our families, and our communities. And then the private sector, the role that they have to play. Uh, so many of our wildfire fighting resources are dependent on the private sector for goods and services, uh, to maintain communication infrastructure, to maintain energy infrastructure. You have to have these partnerships uh, organized uh, well in advance of an emergency for them to function effectively. 
And the relationship with the private sector is, is paramount. Uh, it's not anymore just about what the private sector can bring to bear uh, in terms of assets or resources. Can they provide fuel for our fire engines? Uh, can they provide contract hand crews to be out on a fire line? But what do our private sector partners need to get their lights turned back on after we've been impacted by a wildfire or other disaster? You know, the private sector, that's the economic engine of our communities. And if they're shut down, if they're experiencing supply chain disruptions because of closures related to wildfires or uh, burned out infrastructure due to a wildfire, that's going to lengthen the timelines uh, for recovery for these communities. So it, it's no longer just about what can the private sector bring to the table, but what does the private sector need to keep their lights on and make sure that they're functioning and, and, and those economic engines of our communities are still driving. Yeah. So how important is the ability to communicate with FEMA ahead of time and regularly to be prepared for these wildfires? Well, from a regularity standpoint, we've we've had two regular uh, touch points with FEMA over the last several years here in Oregon, from ice storms to uh, COVID, of course, uh, preparing for a Cascadia subduction zone earthquake and that threat that is looming off of our coast. So the relationships we have with FEMA need to be strong. Uh, we work really closely with our regional FEMA partners out of uh, the Seattle area in Washington state, and then a lot of great connectivity with FEMA headquarters back in DC. Uh, FEMA Administrator Chriswell came to Oregon uh, this past summer, uh, toured some of the wildfire damage areas, met with communities, met with some of the tribal leadership here in Oregon to better understand uh, from a national perspective, how impactful these wildfires are on our communities. Uh, you know, FEMA doesn't have firefighters. Uh, they don't have a lot of the resources that we rely on to do firefighting. But what FEMA does have are tools and resources that can help us reduce our risk uh, through the, the Federal Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities Program, or BRIC program. That's a pre-disaster hazard mitigation program that we're working as a state to leverage to reduce our wildfire risk. And then when we are having a bad day that's caused by a wildfire, if these wildfires are impinging upon communities or burning into that wildland urban interface where the wilderness meets communities, uh, FEMA often will provide what's called a Fire Management Assistance Grant or FMAG to help defray some of the costs associated with fighting these fires and keeping wildfires be from becoming larger uh, major disaster declarations. Yeah. So communications during disasters before and after Technology is important. So can you give us a sense or characterize the importance of communications technology and getting your mission accomplished? You know, communication is key for any emergency, whether it's uh, communicating with our media partners like, like we're doing today, uh, communication among our, our first responders so that they have situational awareness and can deploy resources to the appropriate locations, and, and then notifying the public. Uh, we've adopted a number of, of solutions to help us as a state uh, and at the, the county and city level do a better job of communicating threats and warnings and, and emergency information to our communities. We're leveraging the federal IPAWS system, the Integrated Public Alert and Warning System, uh, so that if we do need to do large-scale evacuations, we can get messages out to cell phones based on their location and what cell phone tower they may be utilizing. Uh, using the emergency alert system to get messages out on television and radio, and then also allowing folks to opt into our notification system so we can not only send folks that opt in uh, preparedness messaging, things that they can do to reduce their risk and be prepared for an emergency, but also provide evacuation notices 
uh, links to, to websites or maps with critical information about the impacts of a, of a fire in their community. Uh, these all pay huge dividends when it comes to preparing our communities. And quite frankly, we've learned a lot over the last several years here in Oregon and looking at the impacts of fires in, in California, and, and even more recently, seeing the impacts of the fires in, in Colorado and, and the challenges in, in notification during these fast-moving wildfire events. It's not easy, uh, but if you can build trust with your communities, if you can get folks to engage in, in the shared responsibility of preparedness and risk reduction, get folks to sign up for mass notification systems, and build trust through social media platforms. Uh, that's another great way where we can engage with our, our, our partners, with uh, Oregonians. Uh, and it's something that I know over the past several years becomes kind of a, a first touch point that many folks have during an emergency. They'll go and visit our Twitter account or a local emergency management Facebook page because we've worked during the blue sky days to build trust uh, so that folks know that information they're seeing through our social media, through our partner social media, is verified information that they can trust and use that information to make good decisions to protect themselves and their families. Final thing I have is disasters are different. Different types of disasters require different approaches. So can you talk a little about how Oregon Office, Oregon's Office of Emergency Management prepares for the variety of potential disasters you could face? Yeah, you know, like most uh, states and, and city emergency management programs, uh, we apply an all-hazards approach to emergency management. Uh, what that means for us is we need to be prepared for whatever hazard is causing our bad day, whether it's extreme high temperatures, whether it's a winter storm, whether it's a, a tsunami that's resulted from a, a volcano eruption uh, thousands of miles away. There are basic things that we all need to do in the first stages of an emergency or a disaster uh, to protect our communities and start building that situational awareness picture uh, to, to have a more targeted response. We talked a little bit about communication, getting as much information as you can to your communities as quickly as possible, as accurately as possible, so folks can make decisions to prepare themselves and, and take protective actions. That's key. Assessing what resources we have, what resource gaps may exist, uh, and and identifying other sources to, to fill those gaps. That's one of the first steps that we do in emergency management. So uh, it, it doesn't necessarily matter what hazard is causing the disaster. Uh, we've got some basic tenets that we follow like saving lives and stabilizing a situation, ensuring that folks have a safe shelter, that we can provide mass care services like food and water and evacuation support to communities. Uh, and it relies on, on not just our office, but a whole network of state partners, federal partners, nonprofit organizations, and emergency management structures at the city and the county and, and here in Oregon at the tribal uh, governments uh, to, to take actions to protect their, uh, their communities. And it's, it's important to note, too, that while we prepare uh, for different emergencies and different disasters, and, and these disasters evolve differently, we also need to recognize that disasters impact each one of us differently. Some of us have more resources to evacuate or protect their homes than others. Uh, we need to make sure that we're looking across the spectrum of our, of our communities and doing what we can to make resources available to protect uh, not just those that are able to, to help protect themselves a little bit, but making sure that we're reaching out and providing services and resources and assistance to those that don't have the ability to protect themselves. Those folks in our communities that are 
traditionally underserved or under-resourced. Uh, those are the ones that we need to make sure don't slip through the cracks during an emergency because uh, emergencies don't impact every, everyone the same. Uh, so our, our response and support to everyone can't be the same. We need to make sure we're delivering services that are equitable, that are accessible, uh, and that are meeting each member of our community where they are with the resources they need. Director Phelps, um, thank you so much for doing this. Is there anything that you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? I mean, I, I would just note that here in Oregon over the past two years, the different hazards we've faced, the emergencies and disasters we've dealt with, uh, 117 degree temperatures in Portland this past June in, in June of 2021, uh, unprecedented wildfires, historic ice storms. All of these responses have happened underneath a larger umbrella of a COVID response. Uh, we as emergency managers have relied on, on community support and community uh, engagement and action to protect our communities, knowing the strain that COVID is putting on our healthcare system, on our supply chain, and quite frankly, just the frazzled nerves that all of us are experiencing through this now two-year battle uh, with the COVID pandemic. It, it makes any other emergency that is added on top of that that much more difficult with things like physical distancing, trying to maintain uh, appropriate personal protective equipment so that we're not further exacerbating the spread of COVID. Uh, it, it becomes a real challenge. Uh, but I will say here in Oregon, the way that our communities uh, come together, support one another, and try to do what we can, uh, regardless of what uh, campaign sign may have been in someone's yard the previous November. Uh, we need to try to come together, support each other, and do our part to take care of ourselves, to take care of our family, and really look at what community means to us and do what we can during our bad days to take care of our communities. Thank you. Director Phelps, appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And if there's anything else we can do, uh, happy to, to talk anytime. Okay, we'll keep that in mind. Thank you for listening to Frontline Voices on Disaster Response, sponsored by Verizon on WTOP. 